Greetings, listeners. Welcome back to The One and Only Ivan by Catherine Applegate. We are um, uh, starting on page 133 if you are following along in a book. And if you recall, we left off uh, as Ivan was telling a story about his childhood. And he's telling this to Ruby, I think because she can't sleep. So let's continue, page 133. It's titled, Hunger. In my new life as a human, I was well-tended. I ate lettuce leaves with Thousand Island dressing, and caramel apples, and popcorn with butter. My belly ballooned. But hunger, like food, comes in many shapes and colors. At night, lying alone in my poo pajamas, I felt hungry for the skilled touch of a grooming friend, for the cheerful grunts of a play fight, and for the easy safety of my nearby troop foraging through shadows. Remember what happened to Tag, I told myself. Don't think about the jungle. Still... Sometimes I lay awake, wishing for the warmth of another just like me, asleep in a night nest of tender prayer plant leaves. I liked having sips of soda poured into my mouth, like a bubbling waterfall. But every now and then I longed to search for a tender stalk of arrowroot and to feel the tease of a mango just out of reach. Still life. One day, Helen came home with something large and flat, wrapped in brown paper. Look what I bought today, she said excitedly as she tore off the paper. A painting to go over the living room couch. Fruit in a bowl, Max said with a shrug. Big deal. This is fine art. It's called a still life, Helen explained. And I think it's lovely. I dashed over to examine the painting, marveling at the colors and shapes. See, said Mac's wife, Ivan likes it. Uh, Ivan likes to roll poop up and throw it at squirrels, Mac said. I couldn't take my eyes off the apples and the bananas and grapes in the picture. They looked so real, so inviting, so edible. I reached out to touch a grape and Helen slapped my hand. Oh, bad boy, Ivan. Don't touch. She jerked her thumb at Mac. Honey, go get a hammer and a nail, would you? While Mac and Helen were busy in the living room, I wandered into the kitchen. A cake covered in thick chocolate frosting sat on the counter. Mmm, I love cake. Love it. In fact, but it wasn't eating I was thinking about. It was painting. The frosted peak and dipped like waves on a tiny pond. Mmm, it looked rich and gooey, dark and smooth. It looked like mud. 
So I scooped up a handful of frosting, and I scooped up another, and I headed to the refrigerator door. It was perfect. An empty white waiting canvas. Mm, The frosting wasn't as easy to work with as jungle mud. It was stickier and, of course, more tempting to eat. But I kept at it. I scraped off every last bit of that frosting. I may have eaten a little cake, too. I don't remember what I was trying to paint. A banana, most likely. I mean, I suppose I knew I was going to get into trouble. But at that moment, I just didn't care. I wanted to make something, anything, the way I used to. I wanted to be an artist again. Punishment. Um, I soon learned that humans can screech even louder than monkeys. After that, I was never allowed in the kitchen. Babies. Back in those days, the big top mall was smaller. It had a pony ride, a wooden train that bustled around the parking lot, a few bedraggled parrots, and a surly spider monkey. But when Mac brought me, a baby gorilla dressed in a crisp tuxedo to the mall, everything changed. People came from far and wide to have their pictures taken with me. They brought me blocks and a toy guitar. They held me in their laps. Once I even held a baby in mine. She was small and slippery and bubbles flowed from her lips. She squeezed my fingers. Her rear was puffy with padding, and her legs bowed like bent twigs. I made a face. She made a face. I grunted. She grunted. I was so afraid she would fall that I squeezed her tightly, and her mother yanked her away. I wonder if my mother ever worried about dropping us. We always held on, but that's easier to do when your mother is furry. Human babies are an ugly lot, but their eyes are like our baby's eyes, too big for their faces and for the world. Beds. Now one day, after many weeks of loud talking, Helen packed a bag and slammed the front door and never came back. I don't know why. I never know the why of humans. And that night, I slept with Mac in his bed. My old nests were woven of leaves and sticks and shaped like his bathtub. Cool green cocoons. Mac's bed, like mine, was flat, hot, without sticks or stars. But still, he made a sleeping sound like the rumble my father used to make when all was well. A sound from deep inside his belly. My place. Mac grew sullen. I grew bigger. I became what I was meant to be. Too large for chairs. Too strong for hugs. And too big for human life. I tried to stay calm and to move with dignity. I did my best to eat daintily. But human ways are hard to learn. 
especially when you're not a human. When I saw my new domain, I was thrilled. And who wouldn't have been? It had no furniture to break, no glasses to smash, no toilets to drop Max keys into. It even had a tire swing. I was relieved to have my own place. But somehow, I didn't realize I'd be here quite so long. Now I drink Pepsi, eat old apples, watch reruns on TV. But many days I forget what I am supposed to be. Am I a human? Am I a gorilla? Humans have so many words more than they truly need. But still, they have no name for what I am. 9,876 days. Ruby's finally asleep. I watch her chest rise and fall. Bob is snoring, too. Bob, too, is snoring. But my mind is still racing. For perhaps the first time ever, I've been remembering. It's an odd story to remember, I have to admit. My story has a strange shape, a stunted beginning, and an endless middle. I count all the days I've lived with humans. Gorillas count as well as anyone, although it's not a particularly useful skill to have in the world. Excuse me, it's not a particularly useful skill to have in the wild. Sorry about that. I've forgotten so many things, and yet I always know precisely how many days I've been in my domain. I take one of the magic markers Julia gave me, and I make an X, a small one, on my painted jungle wall. I make more X's and more. I make an X for every day of my life with humans. My marks look like this. And you see a bunch of X's. The rest of the night I mark the days and when I'm done, my wall looks like this. The page is filled with X's. And so on. Until there are 9,876 X's marching across my wall like a parade of ugly insects. A visit. Hmm, it's almost morning when I hear steps. It's Mac. He has a sharp smell. He weaves as he walks. He stands next to my domain and his eyes are red. He is staring out the window at the empty parking lot. Ivan, my man, he mumbles. Ivan. He presses his forehead against the glass. We've been through a lot, you and me. A new beginning. We don't see Mac for two days. When he returns, he doesn't talk about Stella. Mac says he is anxious to teach Ruby some tricks. He says the billboard is bringing in more visitors, and he says it's time for a new beginning. All afternoon and into the evening, Mac works with Ruby. Ruby's feet are looped with rope so that she cannot run. 
and a heavy chain hangs off her neck. Mac shows her Stella's ball, her pedestal, her stool, and he introduces her to Snickers. When Ruby obeys Mac, he gives her a cube of sugar or a bit of dried apple. And when she doesn't, he yells and kicks at the sawdust. When George and Julia arrive, Mac is still training Ruby. Julia sits on a bench and watches them. She draws a little, but mostly she keeps her eyes on Ruby. Bob watches, too. He's hiding in the corner of my domain under knot tag. It's raining outside, and Bob does not like damp feet. Ruby trudges behind Mac, her head drooping. Endlessly, they circle the ring. And sometimes Mac slaps her flank with his hand. And suddenly, J- Ruby jerks to a stop. And Mac pulls the chain hard, but Ruby refuses to move. Come on, Ruby! Mac is almost pleading. What is your problem? She's exhausted, I say to myself. That's the problem. Mac groans. Ugh, idiot elephant. Idiot human, Bob mutters. Walk, Ruby, I say, although I know she's too far away to hear me. Do what he says. Walk, Mac commands. Now! Ruby doesn't walk. She plops her rump on the sawdust floor. Um, I think maybe she's tired, Julia says. Mac wipes his forehead with the back of his arm. Yeah, I know. We're all tired. He pushes Ruby with the heel of his boot, and she ignores him. George looks over from the food court, where he's wiping off tables. Mac! He yells, maybe you should call it a day. I'll close up. Mac yanks on Ruby's chain. She's she's as anchored as a tree trunk, and he pulls harder and falls to his knees. That does it, Mac says, and he brushes sawdust off his jeans. I am through playing around. Mac stomps off to his office. And when he returns, he's carrying a long stick. The gleaming hook on its end is almost beautiful, like a sliver of moon. It's a claw stick. So Mac pokes Ruby with the sharp point. Not hard, just a touch. And I can tell he wants her to see how much it can hurt. And I growl low in my throat. Ruby doesn't budge. She is a gray, unmoving boulder. She closes her eyes, and for a moment I wonder if she might have fallen asleep. I'm warning you, Mac says. He breathes out. (sighs) He stares at the ceiling. And Ruby makes a huffing sound. (sighs) Fine. Mac says, 
You want to play it that way. And he draws back the claw stick. No! Julia cries. I'm not going to hurt her, Max says. I just want to get her attention. Bob snarls. Max swings, and the hook slices the air just a few inches above Ruby's head. See why you don't want to mess with me? Max says. He draws back the claw stick again. Now move! Ruby jerks her head, flinging her trunk toward Mac, and she makes a noise that sends the sawdust scattering, and it makes my glass shiver. It is the most beautiful mad I have ever heard. And Ruby's trunk slaps into Mac. And I don't see where she strikes him, somewhere below his stomach, I think, and I know he must be uncomfortable because Mac drops the claw stick and falls down on the ground and curls into a ball and howls like a baby. Direct hit, Bob says. Poor Mac. Mac groans. Ah! He stumbles to his feet and hobbles off toward his office. Ruby watches him leave. And I can't read her expression. Is she afraid? Relieved? Proud? When Mac is gone, George and Julia lead Ruby from the ring. It's okay, baby. It's okay. Julia says, stroking Ruby's head. They settle Ruby in her domain and make sure she has fresh water and food. And before long, Ruby is dozing. Dad? Julia asks as George locks Ruby's iron door. Do you think Mac would ever hurt Ruby? Uh, I don't think so, Jules, George says. At least I hope not. Maybe we could call someone. George scratches his chin. I wish I could help Ruby, but I wouldn't know how. I mean, who would I call? The elephant cops? And besides, George looks down. I need this job. We need this job. Your mom, the doctor bills. He kisses the top of Julia's head. Back to work, you and me both. Julia sighs and reaches for her backpack. She removes a piece of paper, a bottle of water, and a small metal box. Homework first, George says, wagging a finger, and then you can paint. It's for art class, Julia explains. We're doing watercolors. I'm going to paint Ruby. George smiles. All right, then. Just don't forget your spelling. Dad? Julia asks again. Did you see Mac's face when Ruby hit him? George nods. Yes, he says solemnly. I did. He shakes his head. Poor Mac. He turns away, and only then do I hear him laughing. <laughs> Colors.
Julia opens the middle box, and I see a row of little squares. Green, blue, red, black, yellow, purple, orange. The colors seem to glow. She pulls out a brush with a thin tuft of a tail at its end. She dips the brush in water and wets the paper and then taps at the red square. When the brush meets the damp paper, pink petals of color unfuel, unfurl like morning flowers unfurl. I can't take my eyes off that magical brush. And for a moment, I'm not thinking about Ruby and Mac and the Clostic and Stella. Almost. Julia touches red again, then blue, and there suddenly is the purple of a ripe grape. She touches the blue, and her paper turns to summer sky. Black and white, and now I see that she is painting a picture of Ruby. I can make out her floppy ears and her thick legs. Julia stops painting. She takes a few steps back, hands on her hips, gazing at her work. And she scowls. It's not right, she says. She glances over her shoulder at me, and I try to look encouraging. Julia starts to crumple up the paper and then reconsiders. Instead, she slides it into my cage at the spot where my glass is broken. Here you go, she says. A Julia original. That'll be worth millions someday. Gingerly, I pick up the paper, and I do not eat a single bite of it. Oh, hey, I almost forgot. Julia runs to her backpack, and she pulls out three plastic jars. One yellow, one blue, one red. And she opens the jars, and an odd not-food smell hits my nose. Julia pushes the jars one by one through the opening, and then she slides some paper through. These are called finger paints, she says. My aunt gave them to me, but really, I'm too old for finger painting. Hmm, I stick a finger into the red jar. The paint is thick as mud. It's cool and smooth, like bananas underfoot. I pop my finger into my mouth. Hmm, it's not exactly ripe mango, but it's not bad. Julia laughs. <laughs> you don't eat it. You paint with it. She grabs a piece of paper and presses her finger on it. See? Like this. I place my finger on a piece of paper. I lift it, and a red mark is there. I get a bigger glob from the pot and slap my hand down on the page. And when I pull my hand off the paper, it's red twin stays behind. This isn't like the ghostly handprints on my glass, the ones my visitors leave behind. This handprint can't be so easily wiped away. I'm going to stop there for today. Thanks for listening. See you next time.